Subject your ears to episode 245 of Rankin Review, Directed Horrors. This is the voice of your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons, and our regular guest, The Beckman, is going to be here to help me discuss these six horror films who come from directors that we respect. In fact, it is the directors that bring us to these movies, more than the genre, more than the, you know, typical violence and scares of horror. The directors are what got us excited about these films, rightly or wrongly. As usual, you can send your feedback to rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. The website is rankinreview.ca. And if you need something to fill your ears with in the two-week gaps in between my episodes, I invite you to check out the Terror Table podcast and the Shelf Shedding Movie Show as well as a lifetime of Hallmark. These are all podcasts hosted by fans of the show. Now I'm going to stop this preamble, and we can get into six directed horrors. Thank you for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome and prepare your ears for the 245th episode of Rankin Review. I, as always, am your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons, and regular contributor, Mr. Lee Beckman, has returned. And you're gonna you're gonna double dip on Lee because he's also going to be featured in the following episode, in which we will finally conclude our our discussion of the Nouveau Halloween trilogy. It was all part of the the, the, the plaster man. That's right. So thank you for coming back to the show. The theme this time, although they're all horror movies, to be fair, mm. uh, so I guess you could say horror, but uh, there are different reasons that will bring me to a, a given movie. There's an actor I like in it. It's yep. got good buzz around it. Yep. Um, you heard so-and-so was going to be naked, <laughs> right? Uh, there's things that will draw you to a movie, but for whatever reason, the thing that excites me is like a new Coen Brothers film or a new... Yep. A new genre entry, like, remember when we could still anticipate a new John Carpenter film? It would be yeah, like, yeah. sweet! Yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. like, uh, what's the movie about? Well, I'm curious to know what it's about, but the fact that it's directed by John Carpenter is kind of enough. Yep. And There was a time where the auteur was way more respected. Uh, not to put all of the movies on this list, of course, on that level, but like... Uh, all of these movies I came to basically on the basis of the strength of the director. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be real, I probably would have got my 
way to them in another <laughs> way because of my obsession over horror movies. But yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, a given director, I I will become loyal to, and I will even if I if if you give me a descent, mm-hmm. like I will sit through two or three pretty bad movies patiently with a smile on my face even just because of how much I appreciate what you gave me once upon a time so um, this is what it is Um, how do you feel about that do directors bring you to the the movies as much or more than any other one ingredient it's definitely one of the main ingredients uh, especially when uh, that filmmaker has their own sense of aesthetic or identity um, you know, a Neil Marshall is a Neil Marshall picture, as we we will sell, as we will talk about. Um, you know, same with a Brian De Palma, same with a uh, Jane Campion, um, same with uh, you know even a Martin Scorsese. So yes, that's sort of the marquee director, as far as I'm concerned. Like, if I go to a Martin Scorsese picture. Mm-hmm. And it's the worst Martin Scorsese picture that he ever made. Mm-hmm. It's probably still going to be worth the money that I paid for mm-hmm. the conversation that I will have afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going into the next Scorsese movie thinking this movie will suck. Yep. It seems like a sound investment. Yep. Billy Bob Thornton said the same thing about the Coen brothers. When they, uh, his, through his agent or whatever, they said the Coen brothers have a script that he wants, they want you to read. And Billy Bob Thornton said, well, I'll do it. Yeah. He hadn't read the script yet, but he's like, it's the Coen brothers? They don't suck. Yeah. <laughs> so tell them I'll do it. Tell them send the script, yeah. but I I'll will do, do it. it. <laughs> and respect. Some people deserve that. Um, but when you're a greedy genre junkie like I am, it, yep. it, it only takes one really good film, and I'm like super loyal to you. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, we also do have legacy directors or like legendary. I think it's fair to call Wes Craven kind of a legendary horror filmmaker at this point. His his legacy is secure. The screen lives on and Nightmare on Elm Street will live on. And I do think even some of his isolated, uh, like, I think Hills of Eyes has surprising legs to it. That's a classic. I think that uh, even Serpent in the Rainbow will always be an interesting conversation piece in his catalog. Yep, it's my favorite one. Even though today, spoilers, we're not going to be talking about my favorite Wes Craven picture. Uh, respect and again mm-hmm. Wes Craven's name above the title I'm going to watch it mm-hmm. is there anything you needed to say by way of introduction before we outline these six horror films from directors we fan over and uh, and rank them and such no 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 but uh, as a current champion of rank and review and also like to be called the Beckman. The Beckman. The Beckman. I keep introducing you by your actual name, and it's it's inconsiderate. I apologize. Yes. The Beckman. I feel like I've been disrespected as as champion of late. So, just thought I would like say that and you'll throw that but out Just there. for me, not for the other people? You don't want to fill them in on why? No, 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 no. no. You can fill them in on why. Okay. Well, uh, Lee wants to curate the, the show, basically. Every every time we do an episode, he says, you know what we should really do? Yep. We should do yep. this. Yes. And a lot of the times I accommodate him. Yep. And today, I put my foot down. <laughs> You're such and a I just <laughs> said, Lee, you need to have your own podcast, brother. Yep. Write me at rankingreview yep. at yep. gmail.com <laughs> yeah. and tell me that I'm wrong about this. No. Listen to the Jean-Claude Van Damme okay, episode, fine. right? You're such a bitch. I don't mean to be a bitch. Yeah. Also, if you're really badly treated, yeah. how many episodes were you in this season? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I know I have a problem with you. 
We're not fighting. Let's not fight in front of the kids. Yeah, this know. is all I love. Know. This is all love. I know. <laughs> uh, no, I have. I'm excited. This, this was this was a, a good. Um, this was. A, I, I was sort of saying that um, the lot of the movies here were like I I, I thoroughly enjoyed. It was a good list. Um, I like all of these filmmakers. So yeah, I will say I like all of these filmmakers, and I like most of these films. Yes. I, actually, I think there's only one wall to wall miss stinker yep. on the list. Yep. There's problems that I have with some of the other movies, but there's only yep. one that was like, oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> but, to be continued. Yeah. Um, from director Neil Marshall. Yep. A very recent film from 2022 called The Layer. Yeah. We do get into spoilers, so um, if that is a problem for you, watch the damn movie, would you? Yeah. From James Wan, a very welcome return to the yeah. horror genre. <laughs> I know that the money is at these temple, you know, Fast and Furious Aquaman movies. Yeah. But dude... You were put on this earth to make horror movies. Yes. I believe this. Malignant <laughs> is evidence to this case. Please, sir, can I have some more? Um, maybe that's a controversial opinion shared by only you and I, but yep. I think we're we'll going to... We'll get see, into it. We'll get there. We're going to talk about My Soul to Take yeah. from the great Wes Craven, yeah. one of his very last films. From Neil LeBute, uh, mainly, well, he was famous as a playwright, and uh, yep. he's been cracking his way into film. House of Darkness with Justin Long and Kate Bosworth. From our boy Mike Flanagan, who we absolutely fellatioed on the uh, best of the 20s. Still wiping that off my face. Absentia, his first movie, his Mm -hmm. very strong debut, his very low budget, you know, uh, make do with the cast you have, super solid first movie. And. In a weird way, one of the hottest directors for me going right now that, that gets me excited to go to the theater these days yep. is Edgar Wright. Yep. If you would have told me after I watched Shaun of the Dead in the theater, were you there for that? I saw Shaun of the Dead in the theater. No, I saw it um, in no, We saw 28 Days Later in the theater. Yeah. Anyway, um, if someone would have told me that not only would this director have a film better than Shaun of the Dead, but several of them, yep. I would have called them a liar that day. I was very happy with <laughs> Shaun of the Dead. Thank you very yep. much. Yep. So, um, yeah, interesting. And again, the idea is the directors drew us to this, this selection. So I'm going to kind of grade it on a different curve. If I'd watched The Layer and I didn't know it was directed by Neil LeBoot, I might have been a little softer on it. Yep. Or, or harder, given the situation. You, you mean like Neil Marshall? Or Neil Marshall, not LeBoot. Sorry. Too many Neils today. Sorry, I tripped you out. No, no, there's no. Never, you there, corrected me. There's never enough Neils. <laughs> we need, we need the, more Neil. The, 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 we should drink Neil. Let's do this. All right. It's easy to see them as monsters, but they're just men. It's not human. There's nothing like this bunker and any satellite images. I can take you to it. How many are we talking about? There's an army down there. Kill anything that shrieks. Batter up, you son of a... Quit screwing around, dude. So the layer from Neil Marshall, as I said, The Descent is a masterpiece. Yep. And Dog Soldiers is a bona fide cult classic. Yep. And the layer, 
is a crossbreeding of those two titles. Yep. You got the macho sort of military angle. Yeah. You got the creature feature. Yeah. And you got the claustrophobic environments, yep. not to the same degree as the descent, but yep. and you got some female badassery on display. Yep. It's significantly worse than both of those films. Yep. Significantly. Yep. But it's not bad. Yeah. But I am confused. Okay. Because with less money, he made a way better werewolf military movie, right? Mm -hmm. And in a similar vibe, he's done this claustrophobic creature feature with, again, less resources. (laughs) So why is it that 10, 15 years after that, this movie seems kind of by the numbers except for in its most excessive moments? Because that's where he definitely seems comfortable. In Mm -hmm. the action beats and in specifically the violence. Mm -hmm. So... No, I do not give it a thumbs down. I do give it a thumbs up. But I give it a thumbs up with this still bitter aftertaste where I'm like, I'm kind of disappointed. Like, it's good, but it kind of should be great. Now, it's got some script problems and just the structure of it. And I will tell you why. I think one of the things that Dog Soldiers got right that this movie does not is that it relatively stayed in one place Hmm. with a lair... You know, they're moving around. Yeah, I also think there are two problematic performances, possibly. Just I think, two. <laughs> I think. I'm, well, I mean, having a weak performance here or there in a in a horror movie is something that, like, unless it really, really grinds things to a halt, yeah. I tend to be a little bit more forgiving of. But Jamie Bamber is not oh. new. Jamie Bamber is not oh. a new actor. Yeah, and he is terrible. He's ter- his accent is terrible. So good on Battlestar. Yeah. The accent yep. is terrible. The execution is terrible. Yeah. I really wish somebody on set would have whispered in his ear and told him it wasn't working. Pull it back. It Pull really doesn't. Really wasn't working. Yeah. And uh, he's one of these characters who's the super badass and he doesn't last that far into the movie. Yeah. But he does destroy the credibility of every scene that he's in. Yep. The other thing I'm going to pick on a little bit is Charlotte Kirk, the, our, our, yeah. our lead. Yeah. I think it's more a script problem than her, but I think a better actress could have hidden the cracks a little bit. Also show like a little more vulnerability. She just has this sort of... It's a one-note performance of her just pissed off. She you know, she does rarely ever puts a foot wrong, that's true, but that's common of like uh, a lead of the movie. It's a common mistake that writers make that think that, that, that their hero needs to never put a foot wrong. But I think worse than that... She seems like she's read the script. She seems really? like she knows that she's going to reach it to the end of this story and that she doesn't need to be worried. Yeah. Everybody else seems worried and seems to be respecting the stakes. But yeah. She looks cool and she looks badass. The Snake Plissken problem. And she does deliver the... And if it was that type of movie. But it's mm-hmm. not trying to be that type of movie, right? Yeah. Um, and Dog Soldiers was kind of being that in a deliberate way, but I didn't feel that as much here. I felt this was being a little bit more straight-faced, and she and Jamie Bamber actively worked against it. But here I am being the negative Nelly critic. When the dude's face gets literally ripped off of his skull in that one scene, mm-hmm. and the basic attack scenes on the base, when, like, they first learn what they're up against, so the first round goes badly, mm-hmm. and then they gear up and prepare mm-hmm. for the second round. 
Yeah, like the movie does work. And again, if this was a debut from a new up-and-comer, yeah. I would say let's keep an eye on him. In yeah. this case, I'm saying, Neil, what happened, brother? Yeah. yeah. So I pass that over to you. Well, there's more things that I like that I don't like in this movie, but I, my sentiment's pretty much the same. Uh, you know, I sort of I sort of have it here is it's hard to wag my critical finger at a creature feature, such as Neil Marshall's The Lair. You know, it definitely has like the story structure of dog soldiers, but it's the script as you have talked about more than once, and like it needed a couple of more drafts, even for you know, the B movie that it knows and wants it. And I love the fact that it's a Neil Marshall picture yeah. on the opening credits and the John Carpenter font. I'm like, yeah, you're, you're tickling, you're tickling all the right bones. He wants to be John Carpenter, but this is the wheelhouse he's played in. He doesn't really step too far outside of genre films. Mm -hmm. And if someone's going to be the new Carpenter, I think mm -hmm. he's in the running. Mm -hmm. I mean, Rodriguez wants it bad, but I think his desperation costs him points. <laughs> and not everything that Carpenter made was a grand slam. I know we like to oversell it, but yeah, it's but true. Not everything was well, amazing. Yeah. So he doesn't have to be amazing. And this is not a catastrophe. Yeah. I, I have this problem where I tend to focus, especially if it's a film critic I like, yeah. I focus on the negatives. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. I think people who listen to the Coen Brothers episodes would really wonder whether or not they're my favorite film critic. Yeah, film you know, you're harder, you're harder on the ones that you love. Mm -hmm. um, but it, there's just some like unnecessary narrative threads or, or things in the script that if you stop and you thought about it, not only could you like cut them out and still keep, you know, the essence of what they were going for, or it's just awkward, you know, how it's presented. Like it's even at the first five minutes because we're given this flashback sequence of like, well, it's not a flashback. It's her flying in the Afghan war. And it's that really odd opening crawl mm -hmm. that goes on way too long. Um, and then we have this quick flashback of, and I have a scene of between her and her daughter and, the, and like the person that's going to take care of the, the the young girl as she's away, when all you could have had is just a quick little you know little little blurb because that's her motivation, and we never see the mother or we never see the kid no. ever again, like and it's just solely there just to be you know that's her goal to get home yeah. for us you know to sort of gravitate towards the character, and it goes on just for too long, and then it jumps back to this fighter jet sequence. Yeah, it's so bizarre. Well, and this whole military thing, it's interesting how distinctly divi divided uh, uh, on gender lines it is. Mm -hmm. If it's a dude, he's fighting to get back home to his wife. Yeah. And if it's a woman, she's fighting to get back home to her kids. Yeah. It's amazing how consistent this is. Yeah. You didn't even need the scene because they mentioned the kid more than once. It's mm -hmm. not like the first time. She has that locket. And there's also that great shot that is straight out of a Sam Peckinpah Bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia when she crash lands. She's got that locket, mm -hmm. uh, but it's fallen just by her hand. But the chain is still all over her hand. I'm just like, I know that shot, <laughs> nerd. <laughs> Anyways, like, there's all these little loving tributes, little Easter eggs as as, they, as the kids call them these days. Right. Um, but it's just awkward, and then it has that. Like, it feels like lazy filmmaking, and they ran out of time. But they have that awful sort of action montage where montage where they're all walking away getting ready for the big fight mm -hmm. with the cheesy 90s music you know you can almost hear Firestarter by what was that band called from the 90s oh the uh, the electro bass band yeah yeah, yeah yeah anyways right you know it's in that movie and you know that was tiresome by the late 90s it's why, why are you here it was just sort of like some very 
Well, I thought that was maybe a self-conscious sort of, I'm of the vibe of Carpenter of that 80s retro. Because those synthy vibes that you're talking about are showing up a lot in horror movies. To the point where it stopped feeling like a reference and it started just to feel kind of lazy. It's like, easy, we'll just put a few low synth bars beneath this and it's cheaper than actual music. Yep. Yep, but... There are some, you know, there's there are some actually some pretty solid performances among the sort of red shirts, and that's where I think one of Neil Marshall's strengths are. Is the secondary characters yeah. are glowing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to shout out Hadi Kianpur. Uh, he has I, I can't remember the character's name right now. Ma Kabir, who plays that sort of freedom fighter. We've seen this character before, like in like Rambo or... Oh, right. He's the good bad guy. Yeah. But Jamie Bamber take notes because he, he actually makes a bit of a meal out of sort of cliched... Cl- cliched. 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 Well, again, in a monster movie, you're allowed these characters. Yeah. Like but the Jamie Bamber character is allowed yeah. if executed well. Yeah. He cannot pull off an American accent. Yeah, no, uh, not at all. But this, <laughs> you know, this actor uh, Hadi d- does qu- quite well, yeah. and like he's given some bad narrative and some bad lines to choke down, but he makes it believable. And what could have easily been a disastrous role, he makes utterly watchable. And it's just nice to sort of you know point that out, saying, "Hey, here's this you know struggling actor that gives a shit." Yeah, and I like that the sheep, let's be honest. Everybody except for our main character is completely expendable to yeah. this movie. Right? Yeah. Uh, they're given beats that you like. You know yeah. You know that that guy who's just crushing on the sniper chick is not um, going to live through the movie. Yeah. But you get what they're doing there. See? They're making us like you. Oh, dude. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I did think it was kind of weird that they went out of their way to make sure that our female protagonist was this stone-cold badass. Yeah. But there was a boy that she liked and that that was exploited. Yeah. No, it seems like that undercut this impossible badass, like almost unbelievable badass that you were... Yeah. That her weakness is a cute boy. (laughs) Come on. Yeah, I know. Come on! (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if the the jury's out on Charlotte Kirk. Um, I... Kind of hope that she actually starts making movies away from her. I thought she was stuff. good in the reckoning, but the well, so movie that's the was thing. problematic. Yeah, she was the best thing about the reckoning. That's the thing. Yeah, but um, and she's married to to Neil. I think they're, now, I they're, think two, they're married. Okay. I don't know. They, they Neil, seem to be creatively. Neil and I don't talk anymore mm. ever since we had that fight. But about. they seem to have been creatively entangled for the last couple of movies. Yeah, and the last couple of movies have felt different as yeah. a result. And they've got two others coming out. Yeah, so yeah. like a film more. Anyways. Um, it's just I think the clunkiness of some of the script and just some of the acting makes it sort of all right. You know, to me, once again, I was talking about how you know the template for action horror movies would probably be Aliens, at least sort of in the modern age. What makes Aliens so superior to a film like The Lair, where it that part of that DNA is Aliens? What elevates it from amazing B movie? that has, you know, grade A production value, writing, directing, acting. And then, you know, the lair, which will be sort of, you know, forgotten into the whole, you know, movie abyss. Yeah. I mean, 
we're a little bit apples and oranges to some degree. I think that A, the money Cameron was playing with, and B, the fact that he had all of his backstory and all of his exposition handled by another movie mm-hmm. kind of started him in a little bit ahead, right? Yeah. But, I, I mean... I like the monsters. They're big, teethy, drippy, gross that, monsters. Like sort of like shoot out some kind of like I can't remember <laughs> what, like what's their big thing. Well, they seem to have psychic be able to psychically fudge with you a little bit. Like they okay. knew that that guy was the one reason she would come back down and not just leave. So they kidnapped him instead of killing him, right? Okay. So they seem to have some psychic ability, and they seem to have a little bit of Resident Evil wolf out. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what you would call it. They've been genetically created, but they're not super soldiers. They're just monsters. (laughs) Something went terribly, terribly wrong. Yeah. And again, there's nothing particularly new about that, but I did like the look and, like, how gloves off. When the the creature was in the room, nobody was safe. Yeah, no, 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 no. (laughs) They are are a threat. I also want to shout out Jonathan Howard, who plays, I think, Hook. I think his death is the you know the whole now go fuck off yes. you know the, uh, and takes one for the team. He'll always give us usually one super macho badass. character yes. that has those like their whole every speak is is you know basically a one liner. They're not even real. But and and again in Dog Soldiers at first it was kind of almost distracting how yeah. chachi and macho the dialogue was. Yeah. But then I was reminded. Predator did this exact same thing. Yeah. Like they gave us these impossibly macho, like only in the eighties, hard to take. The level yeah. of testosterone is just blinding. Yeah, and they believe themselves absolutely indestructible. Yes, there is something super satisfying about seeing them realize that not only are they not indestructible, but they're fighting a losing battle. Yep, it's not uh, going to go well. That subversion works for me almost every time. Watching someone go from badass to, oh shit, yeah. is a good journey for yep. me. Yep, yep, yep. Especially in horror. Yep, yep. No, um, like I said, the lair is, it's good, but it's not, ah, oh, great. It's funny, because this sort of speaks to the double-edged sword of the theme of this episode. Would we have liked this movie more? <laughs> if it was directed by someone else. If it was someone else's first feature instead of Neil Marshall's fifth or sixth, whatever it is, would we have a different opinion of it? Does our baggage we bring affect our enjoyment? Deep Something thoughts. to think about. Maddie, who are you talking to? Gabriel. Is he your imaginary friend? Imaginary friend? Imaginary friend?
So we're going to talk about James Wan's Malignant, but Ooh. I'm going to get there in a kind of roundabout way. Okay. Uh, a year and a half ago, I had uh, the amazing opportunity to walk across Spain and spend some time in Madrid. Ooh. And um, we spent several days in Madrid and we were trying to navigate our way around. Mm-hmm. And it, I came to this conclusion, like I finally figured out, okay, the street signs aren't street signs. They're actually painted on the entrance to alleyways, but most of them are so faded that you can barely read it, right? Mm, And it's not built on a grid the way all of the cities I've grown up in have been. Just because you go two blocks north, if you head a few blocks in any other direction, when you head two blocks south, it doesn't necessarily mean... You can easily get lost. And it felt like the entire place was built on if you know, you know. If you grew up watching horror movies and you are an appreciator of the A, B, C, and D level of horror, from the tippity-top, the exorcist, Mm -hmm. to the grungiest of grungiest basket cases, for instance. Um, If you know, you know. And I love that James Wand is telling this inside baseball joke to all of us hardcore horror fans in the disguise of a movie that looks, for the first, I'm going to say, hour of the hour and 50 minutes like another one of his conjuring or insidious sort of entity movies. Yep. The Quiet, Quiet Boo. But There's it, not as much jump scares in this one. That's what it's sold as. That's yep. what it looks like. That's yep. what it's presenting itself yep. to be. Yep. The, the supernatural mystery that once she solves. Yeah. The ring template in, yep. in that sort of way. That's what the audience are expecting. That's what they think they're getting. Yep. But if you've watched as many horror movies as you and I have, yep. within the first 15 minutes an evil little grin starts to sprout on your face. Yeah. This is not just a monster movie. This is a profoundly silly, over-the-top, ridiculous monster movie that is being played so impossibly straight that, like, it's so dry as to be a fire hazard. I think it's kind of funny, but... When the worm turns, I think there'll be two people in the audience. Yeah. There'll be the group of people that said, what the fuck just happened to this awesome suspense horror movie that I was watching? And the rest of us who are like, ah, the movie has arrived. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. And if you know, you know. Okay. And because you and I know, Malignant is amazing to us. (laughs) Yep. I understand, though, that if you hadn't seen Basket Case and if you didn't understand what kind of movie you were watching, you feel like the bait and switch was, I guess, maybe the only thing the movie had going for it. And it just becomes a, wow, I thought this was about feelings, but it's actually about violence. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Yep. I loved it. I loved it. Yep. But I am utterly sympathetic to all the people who did not love oh, it. Oh yeah, no, but there I, I can yeah, go go. As keep. far as I'm concerned, this is a return to form. Not that, you know, his Fury Fast Five movie, which honestly I haven't seen, was bad. Or that Aquaman was bad. Yeah. But this is what he should be doing. Yeah. This the, is what, what he, he should, should be, be doing. doing. Make it cheap enough that even if it's a lukewarm at the box office, everybody makes their money back. No one's in a position to complain. And you can make as many malignants as you want, my friend. I will show up every time. Yep, yep. No, this this reeked of a movie that directors who work a lot, especially um, 
you know, back in the day that would work for studios, they would do like three for the studios and then in their contract, one for them. Yeah. You know, one movie that, they, you know, it was their pet project. And this feels like this was the pet project for James Wan. I just made you a billion dollars with yeah. Aquaman. So I'm yeah. making And the Conjuring man. universe. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I've made you more money than your three boats combined, kind of. So I don't want any notes. I'm yeah. just going to go make Malignant. Yeah. Just say thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And shut up. Shh. <laughs> And this movie is out of its goddamn mind. It, it honestly is, could have tarnished his career on yeah, some level. Yeah, like it's like, so batshit insane. Yeah. And it asks a lot of you. And I patience. mean a lot. <laughs> First <laughs> right of about, all, how much time we're going to take. And then second of all, the size of the pill that we're going to ask okay. you as well. Now, I'm going to say to the viewers, if you have not seen this movie... Shame on you. Stop <laughs> the show right now. Just stop listening to it. Watch the movie because going forward there's going to be some spoilers. And really, if you are a horror fan, within the first five minutes you even know what's what's kind of yeah. Most most super savvy fans will get there. Or if they didn't, when it happens, they'll yeah. be like, ah, nice. nice, yeah, nice, nice. <laughs> yeah. But like, there's a, a there's one part this time where, um, and, and it's just like because it's at this really bizarre perfect pitch. Like, it's in between taking it super serious and just the right amount of silly. But um, Annabelle Wallace, who plays Madison, our, our lead character, has this line like, but I'm adopted. And all of a sudden, that Sophia Riot version of Where's My Mind starts playing. You're like, what? <laughs> and again, it's It been, asks a lot. <laughs> it's been taking itself so seriously for yeah. so long, and it abandons that so completely. Yeah. And in any other movie, it would not be survivable. Yeah. But... Yeah. No, and the movie looks pretty. Like, I, I'm a bigger child fan than you are, but I love, like, just, just like, the, the bathing of the red and the green and the... And even the blue and what it all represents. Yeah. Even um, for that. I do want to get... Oh, sorry, we done. No, no. Um, keep going. Yeah, no, yeah. I just... I do want to get into spoilers. I just sure. want to... Right. Before we do that, is there anything you wanted to say before we no. get into this? Well, this is all about love and how it just it just tickles the, <laughs> yeah, the, exactly. that, that, that spot right I just there. don't want to be the guy to wreck malignant for anyone and neither do you. Yes. This is all we're saying. So yeah, that was your last The chance. big twist is part of the enjoyment of the movie. Uh, it's one of these latent twins things. It's yeah. like the dark half. If yeah, you're familiar yeah, with that Stephen is, King. Yeah. Uh, in the dark half, the twin is removed from his brain, and uh, it Dr. sort Jekyll of and Mr. Hyde. manifests as a, a latent personality. Yeah. And when he decides, he uses that personality to write a lot of his books. When he decides to get rid of it, it takes it personally, manifests in reality, and, and terror happens. Mm -hmm. This is slightly different in that they weren't able to completely remove yeah. the tumorous twin growth from her brain. Yeah. And after being assaulted by her husband, it wakes up. Yep. And it has the ability to take over her body and kill people. Yeah. And again, you might have been thinking as a savvy thriller watcher, oh, she's having dissociative things. She's committing these crimes, but she doesn't know it. Yeah. So she's guilty and innocent at the same time. Yeah. Which is not a necessarily incorrect reading of it. Yeah. But Lee... What's really happening? <laughs> <laughs> a giant tumor on the back of our lead character's head is there, and it's telling her to do things and making her have an imaginary world. And it bolts out of her head like like the he who shall not be named in Harry Potter. Yeah, at the yeah, back it of can that also guy's communicate head. through like radio. Yeah, but 
She pulls open the back of her head, yep. exposes the face. It screams. Dislocates her arms. Yeah. And, like, fights and murders people completely backwards with yep. her body. They it hired is. this amazing uh, acrobatic... Uh, individual and they use special effects and costumes. I think Zoe Bell was actually part of her at one point too. Yeah. Uh, and Zoe Bell gets brutally destroyed in the jail cell yeah. by her. But it is so over the top yep. and so like turns into like a n- dark demon ninja Awkward slasher movie. Dance and like, of an action sequence. The movie I've been watching has been nothing like this. Not at all. Yep. It has been much closer to like I was saying the ring or the conjuring yep. vibe yep. or where there's something in the dark that that's going to jump out and say boo, yeah. and then we'll be scared, and there's some malevolence. But no, yeah. this is a full on monster that yeah. stabs people in the face yep. and is like. It completely... has anger issues. <laughs> <laughs> and it's simultaneously incredibly fucking stupid yep. and amazing. Yep. <laughs> like, <laughs> yep. And if you don't react well to it, I, I understand that. I do. Yeah. I'm a little bit sorry for you, but this I understand. The, yeah, this is the kind of movie in high school that I would take a girl to. <laughs> and, and that would end the relationship. It would end anything good before it even started. But I would fucking love that movie. <laughs> that movie, like Army of Darkness, which we also saw late tonight, we showed our daughter, this was like, a, like another one where I loved it, but the girl next to me was like, no, we just we have nothing in common. No. This is one that would be really uncomfortable to watch with somebody who hadn't seen because I would be physically squirming for the first half of the movie just in anticipation of how crazy. Like, a lot of movies go crazy in the third act, but not a lot of movies go this crazy in the third act. And, right, so, it's a risky maneuver. Like, I have to respect it. Like, we're gonna play patient and coy with the audience for a really long time, and the people who are coming here for bloodlust are gonna start to get impatient, and the people who aren't might get really into it, and we're gonna fuck it up for them, on purpose. (laughs) So, it's like knowingly fucking with your audience, and I appreciate it. Yeah, I even like the detectives, oh god, uh, George Young and Michelle Brianna, who play this partner, uh, like, like, or at least the two te- detectives on the case, they have just the right amount of dry humor in between all the all the sort of madness. Um, They're audience surrogates because yeah. they exist in the real world until the real world changes. But they, like us, have to change to accommodate this new regime of yeah, yeah. madness. Yep, yep. Also, uh, fans of Dario Argento will, will get obviously the nods to uh, like to, uh, Tenembre and. Um, uh, phenomena and um, pl- plume. I forget the full name of his other movie, Plume. Crystal Plumage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Pr- I haven't seen that one, but I didn't see specific references. It was more the vibe, like the it's color what, palette. It's the weapon as trophy, is one. That was, uh, uh, that's right. what I was thinking of Tenembra. But definitely like the color palette and the red yeah. bursts. Like he likes the, those for sure. I even like the, the castles because that's a map painting that we see both <laughs> in the beginning and like near the three quarters. It's just like, ah, oh, mwah. Yeah. Uh, also, I guess during the credit sequence, if you're one of these people who freeze frames things and read the documents and the newspaper articles, they do give away apparently like pretty much everything during the opening credits yeah. if you want to do that for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But again, just take the ride. Yeah. <laughs> Although yeah. we've already wrecked it for you if you're listening to my voice. Yeah. So. I also love the score by Joseph Bashara. Um, once again, I mean, it's sort of that classic... 
not quite Hammer-esque horror soundtrack, but it's got, you got some edginess to it that I liked. Um, and I just love how Juan and the cinematographer just use that camera. There, the, there's a lots of drawn out sequences that easily could have been jump scares that he avoids this time, which I also sort of liked. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are there's still some. I'm not saying it's still a James Wan movie, but there was times where I thought, okay, here comes the scare, here comes the scare, and it's not. It's more drawn out, moody, you know, yeah. scary moment. Well, I think there's a measure of careful calibration until that twist happens. The other amazing thing is, is that before that twist happens, you need to be careful. Yeah. But after it, no. everything is on the table. Yeah. So when the detectives like break this the the reality, quote unquote, by by letting loose a one liner, yeah. it really doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Like that ship has sailed. Yeah. And it kind of makes the script bulletproof for the second half. Yep. But it makes the script really kind of carefully balanced for the first. Yeah. So it's just, again, he has to get to this certain point, and once the circus arrives, the circus is in town, yep. and we can just have straight bullshit fun for the yep. rest of the movie. <laughs> Let's talk about that, uh, that fun, that, that sequence in the third act of the movie, The Police The Prison Cell? Yeah. Yeah. That's... She has done, she's been in the wrong place at the yeah. wrong time enough times and has enough physical evidence on her person yeah. that she's arrested and yeah. fair enough. Yeah, even and, that sequence before, because it, it is the mom that's trapped in the <laughs> attic and she falls from the roof, I thought, you look pretty fucking guilty. Yeah, <laughs> yes. it just, and then I had that comedic sort of, you know, long shot of her crying in the car and the sister telling her, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. It's, it's not, not going to be okay, okay. Not really, yeah. but... Yeah. Uh, so she's in this prison cell, and uh, if you know a little bit, if you've been paying attention a little bit, you know it's sort of triggered by violence. Yeah. And Zoe Bell, with this really hilarious... Who is this great stunt... Or, stunt or, uh, uh, what do you call it? Actor. Mullet cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's a stunt actress. She was in, did almost all of Uma Thurman's fighting in Kill Bill, and yeah. blah, 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 blah. Uh, she starts mixing it up with her, and you know she's going to hit her, yeah. and you know when she hits her... Something is going to happen. You. <laughs> you. But you don't think she's going to peel the back of her head open yeah. and kill every woman in that cell yeah. in as brutal a fashion as you could possibly imagine. Yeah. And that that was just the beginning. Yeah. We're going to terminate her, the entire police precinct, yeah. with this character. Who does like triple flips, springs boards, just. And it's not credible. It's not believable at no. all. But you're too busy trying to pick your job off yeah. the floor and reattach what? it to your face to yeah. even complain about it. Yeah. And it's amazingly executed. Yo. And, it, like, again, another movie, it would break it. It's so different from what it was that it's like, no, these are these are two different movies. It's yeah. not even from dusk till dawn. No. It's a much more severe change yeah. than that. No, I, I admire this the, the lunacy of this movie. Yeah. I, I really did. It, I, it puts a giant smile on my face every single time. I've seen it, I think, now four or five times. And every time it's like, oh, yeah, this is why I like this movie. This is why I like this movie. This is my second pass on it, but I, I mean, I, I will watch it again. Yeah. Uh, but I just love that this was made for you and I specifically. Yo. He didn't sit down... Right and make you know yeah. this movie uh, malignant. Just cast as wide a web as possible yeah. and and get the biggest audience. Yeah. He got that already with his Aquaman yeah. movie or yeah. whatever. He's got more money than even than a third world country. This one was for us. Yeah, and thank you, sir. God bless. My name is Adam Hellerman, but everyone calls me Bug. 
I live in Riverton, Massachusetts, a small town notable for fishing, tourism, and the Riverton Ripper. The Ripper was killed 16 years ago today, the very night that seven of us here were born. Some say we share more than just a birthday. They found Jay Chan in the river this morning. He's dead. Pray for our souls, bug. He's coming. Hello? There's been no clue as to who this killer might be. If he was evil enough, somebody you thought was dead come back alive? Souls live on. Do you think the Ripper came back to take his revenge? What if his soul went into one of the seven kids who were born the night he died? Bug? Pray for our souls, Bug. But which one? Do you know who your father was? Take a look in the mirror, Bug. So once upon a time, Mr. Beckman, you and I reviewed a Wes Craven joint called Deadly Friend. You. And it was not good. It was, in fact, hilariously bad. Um, But I don't believe that was a Wes Craven screenplay. And I also believe you and I talked about The Hills Have Eyes Part 2. You. And that that was an embarrassing sort of kind of catastrophe, but... It came out of a place of uh, needing another job and needing to make some money. And, no judgment uh, here. No judgment here. I mean, I'll judge him a little bit because sure. it was he knowingly put out bad product, and I can't endorse that. Okay. But my soul to take, although it is not worse than those movies, because mm-hmm. those movies are terrible, stings a little bit more because it is all Wes Craven. He wrote it. He directed it. This was his thing, you know. This is the guy who gave us Nightmare on Elm Street, you know. Created the Scream franchise with Kevin Like, So he obviously wanted to start a new thing here. He's got a very complicated, by which I mean dumb, origin story of the serial killer who was killed on a night. And all the kids... The Riverton Ripper, I think it's actually called. Yeah, true. And all the kids that were born the day, or the night that he died are part of this curse Yeah. Uh, 20 years later or whatever, 16 years later, pardon me, because they're all turning 16, 16 right? Uh, they start getting picked off one by one. Our main character is Bug. The movie is going out of its way to try to tell us that Bug is the bad guy, and it tells us, by its effort to convince us this, that it is not Bug. Like, uh, they keep on trying to throw shade on our main character, and it's yeah. just a waste of time yep and the backstory again I was so bored with it I didn't even want to like recount the ripper it's like so cheesy and whatever but that's just set up that's just foreground so like once that's out of the way it's a messy introduction once we get into the slashing and killing then the movie's gonna start to be awesome because then we're gonna be right in in Wes's comfort zone yep I started to feel like he'd spent so much time working with Kevin Williamson and with Kevin Williamson's scripts, mm-hmm. and he'd just gone through the devastating, not-his-fault problem with Cursed, yep. that werewolf movie that just got completely wrecked by studio interference. Yep. I think he wanted to cleanse his palate and do this movie, and I think he thought he had an ear for the youth because of his connection with Williamson and Scream. Sure. But the truth of the matter was... He's in his late 60s by this point. Yep. And his teen speak is 
cringy. Yep. It just doesn't sound natural coming out of these actors at all. Yep. None of the characters as a result read credible. And on top of the ludicrous setup that we were giving <coughs> in, yep. it, you just can't invest in anyone. Okay, well, that's another hurdle that I could probably get over because a lot of slasher movies suffer from this problem. But we're going to have a cool killer and a mystery to solve. No, we do not have a cool killer, and no, we do not have a mystery to solve. And we've seen this kind of killer before where it can jump body to body, you know, in one of his own movies, yeah. So I'm like, what else? I'm desperate. I want to like this Wes Craven movie. I'm watching it again for the podcast, and I'm looking. I had no memory that Frank Grillo was in this movie, yep. but there he is. I had no memory that Denai Guerrero, Michonne from The Walking Dead, was in this movie, yep. but there she was. Yep. And then I was like, well, that's interesting, and this is an early role for him, especially because the Denai Guerrero character is so peripheral, she doesn't have a lot to do, but yep. oh, this will be nice to see that he has a character and something to do. I actually don't think I remember what happens with this detective character. Well, the reason I didn't remember is because nothing. They set him up 16 years earlier. They bring him back 16 years later. He dies before he has any understanding of what's going on. Yep. And the movie carries on. Yep. Fuck. Fuck. Yeah. It's not like he hasn't swung and missed before, like I say, in the past. But even with Shocker, it was an ambitious movie, right? Yeah. I don't think it worked. In fact, I think it was kind of cringy. Yeah. But... He was trying to create another original, very 80s serial killer, and I saw what he was going for. Yeah. In this movie, I just saw him stumbling clumsily again and again. And I am so grateful that he did Scream 4 before he'd passed away, because I would have really hated it if my soul to take was his last film. I don't know if it's coming across, but not a fan. Yeah, no... (laughs) Um, this movie does scream or feel like it does scream a little bit from studio interference. We, we talked about it earlier, no, just off, not off camera, off microphone, that they uh, had um, what, what's called test screenings, but they showed it in the afternoon and, you know, the, the target audience is at school yeah. or, you know, at, or at work, not the sort of 40, 50 year olds that are recently retired. And but could show up to a two p.m. matinee showing on a Tuesday of My Soul to Take and hated it and had lots of complaints both of like beginning a little bit but also the third act and so they reshot a lot of the third act. Now I'm not saying that My Soul to Take was probably a brilliant movie before the reshoots. Yeah, I really but it doubt it. Feels like like there's just it feels just very rushed, quickly edited. We the red shirts we just really not give a damn for even the one that's like sacrifices themselves like the blind character we needed more of him yeah and then he shows up like there's not a death in the movie that has impact yeah not one yeah like we see him at the beginning and then he shows up right in time for his own sacrifice and death really i mean i guess there's like he gets a couple of you know friend scenes um and they just don't have chemistry together yeah as well um max lines i think is the is it what's the lead actor's name Max Thoreau is Bug. Max Thoreau. Thoreau, okay. I hope that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I, th- I actually thought his buddy, John, John McGuire, gave the better performance of the two of them. Yeah, it's just so obvious that, spoilers, he's the killer. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's nowhere else to go. He's the only other character that we have any kind of significant screen time. Yeah. And then they have that scene where they go out of their way to take him off the list of suspects, at which point I said, okay, there we are, he did it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's... It sucks when someone's trying to fool you and yeah. they're failing. 
And, and that's uh, in the is, tr- it, is it cold in here, Lee? Should we turn up the prayer conditioning? No. That is a legit line in this movie. Yeah. That wasn't just me dropping one of my famous dad jokes. That is a legit line in this movie. Yeah. And they double down on it. Yeah. They repeat it because he's so fucking thrilled with that line. Yeah. And I'm just like, thank you, fuck Wes. you, thank, movie. Thank you, Wes. Thank fuck you. you, movie. I know, we get it, Wes. You, you, you don't like organized religion. We get it. <laughs> but again, who talks like that okay. and doesn't expect to be slapped in the face? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. No. Yeah. Again, we talked about the cop. He had nothing to do, but then they spent all this time on his mom in the back timeline. Yeah. So there's going to be something see, that's with the why mom, right? Yeah. See, and not. Yeah. No. No. Nothing. That's, nothing that we set up pays off, even a little bit. Yeah. See, that's why it feels like it's just a very <laughs> badly edited movie that got fucked over. Uh, apparently, he had this quote where he was like getting really. Hurt. He was hurt by the critics saying, "You know, you spent all this time making this movie, and then in such a crooked time, you know, the critics can demolish it." You know, and the movie was about not, this one or about Cursed? No, about um, my soul to take. Okay, he felt all bitter by the end. Okay, well, like I knew that Cursed was a terrible production. Oh yeah, for him. they shot. There's literally it's two movies they've shot. Yeah, two movies worth of movie to come up with a movie that nobody liked, yeah. and he lost a movie that he wanted to make as a result. He wrote the screenplay to Pulse, the Pulse remake. Oh right, it got right. handed off to another director because. He was lost doing endless reshoots. I remember that now. Yes. So uh, I felt like my soul to take was him saying, you know what? I'm making my movie now. <laughs> and that's why it stunned more to me. Yeah. Maybe you're right. Maybe it was fucked with. But I honestly can't imagine a movie with these pieces in any order that is passive, getting a passing grade from me. You know what he should have done? Made a different movie entirely. <laughs> yes. Okay, I was going to say malignant, but all right. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. well, that, that's the same answer. Dude. That's a different movie entirely. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene with Bug sitting out in the woods. Yeah. Mimicking the voices of yep. all of his dead friends. Yeah. That makes absolutely no sense. There's no reason for Bug to go out in the middle of the trees. There's no reason for Bug to be mimicking his friends. All that is is for the audience to make us think Bug is crazy. Yeah. And... I find that, like, insultingly bad writing. Yeah, the movie is trying to think it's itself that it's way smarter than it actually is. And, like, no. No. Also, like, just the action sequences, with the exception of, like, the opening chase and the ambulance, and then, like, the first killer, the, the, the first kill off the bridge, are really unimaginative. Yeah. Like, like they're just, there's nothing really to them. It is just sort of senseless butchery. Uh, and it's not all that... It wasn't shocking. No. It was just... You know, meh. We've come a long way from the bastard son of a thousand names. Yep. 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 No, and that's the frustrating thing about My Soul to Take is like that there's nothing really overtly wrong about it. Uh, it's not original. <laughs> um, it's very, you know, by the numbers. The mystery is not satisfying. So, yeah, it does feel like it is a letdown because this, this was kind of, you know, I did all this for the studio and one went for me. Yeah. And it just should have been better. Yeah. Even I mean, the whole idea about, you know, he's what, cause he's having psychic visions. Yeah. They could have played so much more imagery or ideas into that. Cause you know, you're where he was getting a power up. Maybe the Ripper was gaining something from the souls, but yeah. do you remember that Jet Li movie, the one yeah. the really fucking stupid <laughs> Jet Li movie, the one where he has it, to yeah. kill all yeah. of the other versions of Jet Li. And yeah. each time it happens, yeah. he gets more powerful. It's sort of something. Yeah. 
interdimensional Highlander or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's was in the script at some point, and yeah. that's why he was, you know, channeling his dead friends. But it's never even attempted to be explained. It's yeah. all meant to make Bug look sinister. Yeah. And if Bug is the bad guy, then there's no movie here. Yeah. Like, if, if what they want us to believe is the truth, then the movie is completely without revelation. Yep. So what they're asking us to believe is bad, and what the truth is, is equally bad yeah. so uh, I'm just beating the shit out of this and uh, you would never believe it I have so much respect for Wes Craven but I really you do lie sir <laughs> I really do have you a lot lie. of lie <laughs> come on you really liked Vampire Brooklyn <laughs> yeah you know he did he did have his, his his gutter balls and unfortunately this was just one of them yeah but we can't be that angry <laughs> hey he gave us I think there's more hits than misses oh yeah I honestly do yeah. I honestly yeah. do but uh, I think part of that is the genre. I feel the same way about comedy. When you're trying to make me laugh, if you're failing, it, it hurts. sucks. It hurts. And it when hurts. you're trying to scare and outsmart me, and neither of those things are happening, yeah, it's my soul to take. Yeah, and, and apparently it had like it was one of those post-conversion 3D movies as well. Oh there's, God, there's like, but there's no like near far. Yeah. There's none of that. So there's just, nothing that screams 3D. No, no. I think unless you're a Craven completist, kids, you can skip this one. You're not married, are you? <laughs> not at the moment. Not at the moment. <laughs> What's that? Is somebody here? Not that I know of. Let's play a game. I don't play a game. Let's play. Lucy, hello. I thought this was just the two of us. You still don't understand what's going on, do you? Understand what? Oh my god. I'm tired. I'm gonna go home. No, you're not. Is that how it ends? Who said anything about ending? I think it would be unfair to say that I was a huge fan of Neil Lebute, like, okay. uh, but he is an interesting director. He's talented. And sometimes interesting is enough. And the fact that he doesn't typically work in horror, unless you count the Wicker Man remake. Ooh, Speaking of terrible, yeah. terrible, terrible, terrible. Wow, that's a horror movie of a different kind, but yep. But here's a guy who usually writes theater pieces which this frankly does feel like yep. to be honest and that was one of the one of the refreshing things but yep yeah uh, but he usually just takes an uncomfortable subject matter and pokes that nerve repeatedly repeatedly for two hours yeah and uh, sometimes it's satisfying but more often than not it, it it seems more interested in making you uncomfortable than entertaining you and as a rule I don't appreciate that as much okay but I had I can't completely dismiss him like he's made some really interesting movies and he's made some really terrible movies and like yeah. uh, he kind of gotta gotta reconcile it but I was intrigued at the idea of him making a horror movie because yep. like most of his films are basically closet horror movies they're just so ugly they're a little the characters bit awful. are so terrible they're a little bit awful yeah yep. that they almost belong in horror movies yep you were talking about Jason Patrick and your friends and neighbors or yep. Aaron Eckhart in, in the, the company best, of men one of the best screen villains in my humble yep. opinion is um, Jason Patrick and your friends and neighbors but yep just 
awful human beings. Yep. And I, he usually is sort of talking about like the most evil corners of like toxic masculinity in, in that way. The he he tends to play in that. He's very much in touch with, I would say, his shadow self. <laughs> you know, much like sort of like Fight Club or any movie that has that sort of. Jekyll and Hyde, you know, sort of story concept. Um, he's very much in. Uh, he swims to that island more than once. I think he knows it quite well. He does know the battle of the sexes. It's a well that he's gone to more than once. So here comes House of Darkness. Yep. And right away, I mean, you have Justin Long and Kate Bosworth. He's giving her a ride home to this yep. spooky estate outside of the city or wherever yep. they have been. And it is probably a 10 minute scene of. Two people in a car. Yep. Talking to each other. Yes. And right away, like, it's not based on a stage play, but a playwright wrote this. Yes. And it's going to require a patient viewer. Yes. By the time they're in the house, I know what the end of the movie is going to be. I I think you know from the opening credits. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's obviously playing on the lore of Dracula. We have Mina. We have, um, what's her name? Taken right Lucy. out of Lucy, the two main female characters from Dracula, yeah. represented of two of the three sisters. Yeah. And we have this sexuality seduction thing going on. Yeah. And to me, I don't think he was trying to hide it. I do think he was like, the audience is going to understand what's happening. Yeah. Justin Long has a dream slash vision yeah. of a bunch of shoes stacked in a pile and a dead body, and uh, it, it, it means something. It's not there for no reason. Yeah. And these women are acting super sus, and they have the namesakes from Dracula. He's not getting out of this place. Yep. And it's a prolonged conversation. Uh, I think he was dead as soon as he got there, pretty much Oh, he's way. dead the, the second he got in the car. Yeah. But uh, the conversation that they're having yeah. is... He's dead either way, but does he deserve it? He is going to die. Oh, he doesn't deserve it at all. No, he doesn't. But that's, I think, the conversation yeah. that yeah. the movie is having. And that's the very Neil LeBoot part yeah. of it, right? Yeah. This guy is super scummy. And he calls his buddy on the phone, and he's bragging about how he's going to score with this, and she's eating, it up, eating out of his hand, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, that's gross, and that's tacky, and Justin Long is good at playing this type of character. Mm-hmm. That is not worth getting eaten alive. That is not a murder-worthy Or the sin. fact that he tries to lie about it. And yeah. yeah. And, or that, like, as soon as he is, hears a story suggested of uh, uh, an orgy or whatever, he sees that as a green light to, to try and have sex with these two sisters at once. He's a chachi dick of a dude. Fine. Whatever. But sure. it's interesting that it starts once upon a time... And it ends, and they all lived happily ever after. As if, like, the events that we are privy to in this story were a good story. We had a moral lesson to it. Like, something that... And it's not that. And that's the conversation, right? They're justifying that to themselves, but this is just the guy that they're eating tonight. Yep. Yep. Um, So I think how much joy you get out of it is, A, how much you like Justin Long and Kate Bosworth. I like them both just fine. They do quite well, yeah. And B, how much you can get into a conversation chamber piece. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It is like a tight 90 minutes. And so all of its flaws are all of its pluses in that stretch. It feels dragged out and it is dialogue dense 
and it's obvious where it's going. Yep. But if you engage with it, it's like a good theater piece. It's it very much holds the right. Yeah. It holds you. Yep. So I like it, but it is a, a meal that is kind of in my in on my menu. You know, I have a theater background. Yeah. I am more patient about these types yep. of things. I can totally see if someone thought this was going to be a, a slasher or a vampire picture mm-hmm. full of teeth and tissue and renting it and being bored and, and annoyed by it. It's not that movie. But the movie it is, is actually pretty decent. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, Some of the things that I found very, very refreshing was, you know, we've seen a lot of vampires movies, and we always sort of equate, you know, the sort of, you know, sex with death with vampire movies. You know, sexual promiscuity. And it's always a male preying upon the females, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think we've even seen that sort of giant, you know, vamp, female vamp, hunting down the boys. Um, But... But these it, aren't the brides of Dracula. Dracula's it, dead and they're but just it, it, going on. It had been a long time since I felt any sort of eroticism with any kind of vampire movie of late. And this movie, just from the talking, gets kind of sensual. <laughs> I love that scene with Bosworth's like they're almost kissing. And like she's you know, like they're just kind of moving their heads back and forth mm-hmm. just a little bit. It's it's well choreographed. And it's a well-written piece, and she's completely toying with him, and I love it. And I, I and I thought, well done, Neil. Uh, it, it just those little tricks right there that I'm like, okay, this it's kind of erotic. I've got a little bit of chubby. Won't and lie. his pedal isn't down to the metal as far as the script is concerned. Yeah. Back in the day of your friends and neighbors and in the company of men, Justin's long character would have been such an irredeemable piece of shit yeah, that we like would have not... celebrated his death yeah. and the ending would have actually made sense and yeah. they all lived happily ever after like good for you for ridding the world of that piece of shit if those vampires were to kill the Jason Patrick character from your friends and neighbors we could throw a party <laughs> right? I actually found him pretty endearing when you know because I do believe him a little bit when he says you know he gets all excited when he's you know, talking about the connection he's made with her, and like you, you yeah. just sort of sense that naivete a lot of ways, even to the point where the sister had has long been introduced to the story, and he's getting frustrated, and he turns to her and says, "Can we just go and talk somewhere?" Yeah. And you usually just realize that, oh, buddy, no. no, you're so like you have no idea how much you're in over your head right now. Um, so I I do find him likable, even he, he, like when he phones his friend. He's not bra- like his friend gets him to brag about it. Like he's not being the dick to phone. Yeah, he's not the same asshole he was in Barbarian. He's yeah. not like irredeemable, yeah. and I appreciated that because yeah. it would have been easier. Yeah, if he was that guy. Yeah, yep. Yeah. No, um, so I did love the whole hunter and prey uh, mentality and story that is very much two thirds. Well, no, the whole movie really. Uh, and it just by the time the third one shows up it's just a very quick spiral down to they talk in the car Taco Bell they talk in the living room they yeah. talk in the that big fireplace room yeah. and then they talk in the cave and then the credits roll yep yep um, and that's another just just to get points where points are due here yeah. there's not enough in that way the, the horror movies of the mind like the, this can be done you can do a, a, a around the campfire yeah. I'm telling you this story and let our imaginations fill it but it's hard yep it's the tougher path to take yep it's live theater yeah it's telling a story and even but the, limiting yourself to a certain box yeah 
and even the dialogue, like it, it sort of has that sort of Mem- David Mamet structure where they at repeat times. It, at, at times, at times, yeah. Um, but like, there's not a lot of like amazing killer lines uh, in this script. It is really all about those quiet moments and just the theater esque blocking, yeah, uh, of just the actors and, and even the camera. Schrader's really good at doing that too, actually, for someone who likes his you know wordy scripts. I also think that the longer they make you wait for the monster or wait for the violence, I yeah. think is probably the better answer. The more the violence kind of like, when it yeah. shows up, when he busts his knee, you're like, ow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's that whole dream. And yeah. 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 And like, so it, it does make it punch more. But I don't think this movie's for everybody. No, nope. I, 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 I don't want to oversell it, but I, I am giving it a thumbs up review. I just find it refreshing just, just because like the rest of the movies are very stylish, very loud in a lot of ways. And even though this film is very much a mood piece, it's very much it's detri- it, it lives and dies by its actors and dialogue. Yeah. Neil won't be remembered for his directing. He will be remembered for his writing. Yep. And I think he's slowly, regrettably coming to understand this. I think he wants to believe himself in auteur. Uh, I think he's good at making challenging theater pieces, but um, he doesn't always have answers. And I do think this movie is guilty of that, too. Okay. I bet you if you asked him why, why is this happily ever after? He's like, I don't know what it really means. It just felt right, you know? Yeah. It's just, there's no plaster man beyond that vibe that he wanted to work for a while. Mm-hmm. But it was well cast, and like... We're not going to see any sequels to this, <laughs> but no. like, uh, uh, presumably that's that's what they'll do. I don't know how often. Maybe once a month. Maybe once a year. Yeah. Some unlucky guy gets dragged to this house, and some variation of these events happen. Had you, had, did you see the two other? Um, had, had you ever seen the other two other actors before? Like the two, not the, the sisters, but at least the trio of vampires. Uh, well, I've I, I've seen two of the three sisters in other movies before, but okay. I, I didn't recognize the the. The last one who we were introduced to, who okay. seemed to be able to move hyper fast. Yeah. Um, Do you remember their names? I can tell you. There you go. <laughs> so Kate Bosworth and uh, she was Mina. Yep. And Gia Krovatim uh, was Lucy, and then Lucy. I guess Lucy Walters was the third sister, whose name escapes me right now. Yeah. Um, and of course, Justin Long was our unfortunately, like I said, he's made a long career of like stumbling into the wrong villain's house. No, well, he's kind of been doing well in the horror genre. Of course, we talked about Drag Me to Hell and Jeepers Creepers in the past. The barbarians, and, and uh, but I kept on thinking, like, because I sort of associated him with the sort of nerdy, funny roles, like in Galaxy Quest or Dodgeball. That yeah. Uh, save your money, dude. Like uh, you're cool, and I get your vibe, but I, I don't know where where you're gonna fit in this Hollywood system once you outdoor outgrow your adorableness. And he, he's picked the right scripts, and he's like you say, he's not he's not afraid of playing a guy with a little darkness to him, yep. and uh, you know, not hurting his image. You know, to the teenage girls who once a day, once upon a time, thought he was dreamy, now they can enjoy watching him squirm a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I like, like I say, that he kind of... Some people will say he took the teeth out. Neil LeBoot needed to be harder. He needed to challenge us more. And I like that would have probably probably bothered me more if if the, it became this feminist screed about how all men were evil or it became about 
how again bad this guy could be. Neither of those I did things find happened. A, yeah, I, I did find it a little groan worthy when we when we started to get the backstories of the three female vampires and how wrong they were. That seemed like a very libidin. But it doesn't go anywhere yeah. to justify their behavior. Yeah. Not even to them. <laughs> right? Yeah. This is where we came from. And at some point they do need to drink blood to live. And it's, I guess, maybe easier for them to tell themselves that the person they do it to deserves it. It's the same guy over. It, yeah. Yeah. But, no. 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 It's like the memento killings. You're, you're, you're bad people. We know it. You're not fooling anyone. You're not even fooling yourself. Yep. So, it's not really... They all lived happily ever after. Shame on you, ladies. <laughs> Shame on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These, let's call them lucid dreams that you're having. They started about the time you decided to declare him dead in absentia. You're describing visual, auditory, even tactile hallucinations. He's not the only one, not even close. They declared Walter dead in 2002. I ran into him just last week. You see me? Left behind his son who says his dad was taken away by a monster. It's sleeping. I saw you it. hallucinated I it. saw it. Things go missing in this neighborhood. And those things turn up in one place. I was seeing things too. They felt so real. We found a body in the tunnel. Oh my god! Always in this neighborhood, you lock the door. I know how that sounds. You see your eyes? We're gonna need to question you a lot more. I swear to you, I could hear him in the walls. Ah! I think we've been on the record pretty clearly of our love for Mike Flanagan on this podcast in the past. Yo. I feel like our, our three-part best of the 20-teens was almost like a de facto tribute to the work of Mike Flanagan in I, some I, ways. I do believe you have affection for Mike, yes. Yeah. And it's so incredible to see, like, right away from Absentia, 2011, very strong right out of the gate. Even handicapped with a criminally low budget and inexperienced actors. Like, uh, and it apparently came together really quickly, too. Like, it was one of those. Just go, 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 go. Yeah. And, again, in a lot of these low-budget debut horror movies, the smart move is to find a cool location, like, say, a creepy urban tunnel. <laughs> yep. And milk the shit out of it for atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And... Wherever the movie fails, it absolutely succeeds in that. Every time we end up going back to the tunnel, I feel a little bit more uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And when the tunnel starts insinuating itself into the flat, it gets even more uncomfortable. Yeah. But the, I guess, heart of the movie is the psychological poison. This woman, and, I, and she's pregnant because the actress happened to get pregnant, so they incorporated that in the script. I guess in the original script, that wasn't the case. Noise. It's funny that uh, she and her, her sister's trying to ask her who the father is, and she's being all coy about it. I wonder if even the screenplay knew at that point. The payoff is the, is the cop. You have to assume it was the detective who's been pursuing her relentless. Who else would it be? Well, they have that whole scene where, you know, you can be a part of the... She's breaking up with him, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Uh, her husband vanished. It's been seven years. This is the lady who's pregnant, sorry. Uh, her husband vanished. It's been seven years. She's got this relationship with the detective who had been helping her look for her husband, but obviously something more has happened there. Mm-hmm. And 
They want to declare him dead in absentia, A, for legal mags. She can get rid of his stuff and uh, settle his estate. Mm -hmm. And B, she can just move on with her life, which she clearly needs to do. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of The Vanishing, or that guy, his girlfriend disappears and he just can't reconcile. He doesn't, after a point, care whether she's alive or dead, or if she left him for spite, or because she thought it was hilarious. He just wants to know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and that kind of craziness is, is I don't know if it's, if it's relatable, but she's had seven years. Her sister's coming to, quote, support her, but we can see that her sister is also a recovering addict and has her own baggage. Yep. And right when they're about to finally let go, do the healthy thing, and finally cure, lick these wounds, and start their life anew, the entity in the tunnel makes itself known, and her absent husband briefly is returned to her. And the movie Wall to Wall works. You could... You, you can tell just by the vibe and the aesthetic of it and the inexperienced actors. I'm not going to say bad. I'm going to say inexperienced. Yeah. I, I do think... I, I would love to see where all these actors are at today. You know, yeah. 13 years later. I, I, I think that they run and gun filming your first time on a set. It's intimidating. Yep. And it works enough. It doesn't hurt the movie. It's just like the detectives particularly don't feel confident. They feel uncertain. Yeah, <laughs> about what they're doing as detectives, and yeah. I feel that might be more the nerves of the actors than it is the characters of yeah. the detectives. Yeah. But it doesn't take away. It had me a little worried in the first half an hour of the movie. That's why I kind of I, I I started to lower my expectations yeah. a little bit. But then there's that needle drops about the forty minute mark uh, of the husband showing up. Yeah, and all of a sudden, oh, my whole the whole idea that this was a you know a first time director movie, you know, low budget, movie, it just disappeared, and I got and you're sw- in it. Yeah, and I got swept into the story. And that is the scene where the movie clicks in. If yeah, you, there's maybe a little bit of uncertainty. Yeah, but when the husband re- reappears and the detective is like, oh no. For so many deep levels for him. Yeah. He is in love with this woman. Yeah. She was about to be over it. Everything was going his way. Yeah. And the second that guy shows up, his world is exploded. Yeah. And why is he back? Yeah. Well, the older sister had an encounter with Doug Jones. Yeah. <laughs> Doug Jones is a famous, he's like seven feet tall. Character launching as a piece of actor. paper. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you always see him buried in makeup. And I bet you one of the things that got him here was... I don't have to be buried under layers of makeup, and I'm still in an amazing monster movie. Shout out to those actors who who do the whole you know performance in a suit, yeah, much like a Kevin Peter Hall or a Doug Jones. Um, you know, there's that film Last Voyage of the Demeter where the person who plays Dracula is an, uh, what Javier Botet, I believe his name is. Yeah, yeah, but he's one of those actors that will they get for the whole yeah. wearing the you know. Pencil Costume skinny, suit. so you can yeah. put like a meaty suit on them. And Flexible, they yeah. yeah. You know, they, they used to work for the Circus de Soleil or whatever. Right. Well, uh, so she meets Doug Jones. He's so skinny and so like pale. His yep. his essence has been drained, and she intuits that this isn't a homeless person. Like yep. something terrible has happened to this guy. Yeah. And she says, "I'll go get you some food." When she comes back, he's not there. Yeah. And here's the fatal, fatal mistake that she makes. She leaves food there. Yeah. And either it's considered an offering or a trade. It actually made me think of uh, Under the Shadow, 
we just reviewed Under the Shadow for uh, yeah. the best of the 20 teens and like there's some sort of weird barter system that's yeah. not understood by both parties yeah. but by seeing that guy and by coming back and offering the food a door's opened yeah after that shit starts going south bad things start happening in the house the husband comes back and things go from almost being fixed to brutally bleak yep not a feel good number no nope. but as is true with every fucking thing Mike Flanagan touched that decade yep solid as a rock yep as a debut for sure yep obviously I didn't know Mike Flanagan so his name didn't quote bring me to absentia but I hope I can bring eyes to it because it's one of his more underseen pictures um it's kind of amazing he went from like this to Oculus too yeah uh, I mean, granted, he had a lot more money, and so he had a lot more professionals who made a you know a, a far sheener looking horror thriller. But it is impressive that because Absinthe does have some like dialogue problems and a, uh, and some acting and a little bit of a pacing problem, just a little bit. But then to make something so crisp and solid and silky as Oculus, it's impressive. He goes from this from Absinthe to this. Well. Again, I'm going to a heavy hitter here, but Christopher Nolan yeah. did this movie the following. Yeah. And again, very short, very tight, micro-budget, black yeah. and white. Yeah. They had to fuck with the timeline because they had sound issues. Yeah. That ended up becoming one of the defining characteristics of Nolan's filmmaking, is yeah. playing with the timeline. Yeah. But all its flaws, you can watch that movie and you can say... This is a filmmaker. This yep. is an yep. incredibly talented filmmaker. Yep. I even, wonder what he could do with a budget. <laughs> even he even has some like pretty good shot composition. Yeah. Like, like it, it tantalizes the eye a little bit without being you know too much special effects. It you know it's just it's how he sets, you know the tables of the set pieces within the film. You know your eyes engage with it, and then he uses it especially with the shadow and whatever that is. Yeah. It's an alien, yes. I don't know, it seemed like a, some kind of, perhaps interdimensional, like they said 20 people are in that tunnel with it. Yeah. And he's like siphoning the life out of them. Yeah. And who knows how long it's been there. It looked insectile. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it it sounds like a cricket. Yeah. But I don't know, I liked how much they, they kept unknown about the creature. It made it scarier because mm -hmm. when they're finding stuff in the house... Uh, that it's left for them. What does that mean? What are they supposed to do? Whatever it meant, whatever they were supposed what to do. What did they leave again? Like it left. There was that weird pile of dust and the metal, like stuff that would have been left in the alleyway, spare change, stuff yeah. that belonged to people, presumably that he had stolen. Yeah. Into this, but you left me some food. Oh, thanks. Well, I'll leave you this. But yeah. now we have this thing. Now we have this relationship. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, and again, to keep on like further jerking off Mike Flanagan, he also writes most of what he's directed. Yep. Like, damn, dude. Yep. Yep. This yep. is this. Maybe it's it's eclipsing into a little bit of jealousy here, but like, <laughs> you yeah. got you got game. I, I I can see the drill from your chin. No, he's very very talented. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you that. And kudos to the movie that. It started off uh, to me like I had my sights set on low, and all of a sudden it just hits you that this is a very, very good horror movie. Yeah. Um, and a very small budget. Like they did this 
for so very little, so good for them. Yeah. And the bait and switch, like, I really didn't think it was going to go as dark as it was. They spent so much time with this woman making the right choices to fix her life and become happy. Yeah. And she's carrying a child, by the way. Yep. And it ends, both of the girls are gone, and the detective is putting up missing posters of them. Yep. And he's lost everything. Yeah. And will be. <laughs> he's lost. So, yeah. like, I, I really... I mean, not that I always assume that it's going to be a bad ending in horror movies, but I can usually feel when it's going to go that way. And this movie kind of surprised me. Like, that everybody was going to get unscathed? No. People are going to die in a horror movie. Yeah. But that the bug entity in the tunnel wins and is still there and is still fishing for people. Go home. Yeah. The end. Yeah. <laughs> yep. In its original ish. Again, uh, it... I, th- yeah, I feel that, like that, if you explored that creature more, you would start to find some conventions and some familiarity. And in that way, it would take away the creepy factor. Yeah. And they couldn't afford a proper monster, so we only got little glimpses. So they made her made her brains use against us that way. Yep, <laughs> yep, yep. There's enough rules. I love the fact that there's enough rules for this creature that uh, it gives you certain clues on how you could beat it technically you could trap it you could trap it in essence yeah I like who knows anything would be a guess like anything would be a guess maybe if you draw a line of salt across the entrance of the tunnel it wouldn't be able to leave but you'd have to know to do that yeah right and uh, they're just so helpless they might as well be fighting the invisible man or something like uh, what it wants is unclear and when it wants it is unclear and uh so it's a hard scenario to get around. Yep. Yep. No. I got this kind of gift. I can see people, places, things others can't. This is the closest most people ever get to their dreams. They're not just dreams. Jack, I don't want to do this. You think you can just walk away? It really happened. What did you see? Do you believe in ghosts? I want to report a murder. You witnessed the murder last night, but you believe this was a vision from the past. The guy that killed her is still out there. I have to stop him. I've done a lot of things. You're gonna have to be more specific, love. You can't save me. So Edgar Wright um, is a pretty safe bet if you're going to the movie theaters and you're putting your money down. If it's, it's Edgar Wright's name on it. He's famous for his hyperkinetic and editing. Um, its influence is almost started getting to the point where I'm not sure if it's entirely positive. But okay. uh, I feel like, uh, yeah, his style and uh, the, the Kingsman director's style with the hyper Matthew editing, Vaughan. Matthew Vaughn, uh, 
when people look back at certain areas of time and say that's a very 2000 feel and that's a very what we're going through right now is is kind of this feel right of like um those quick cuts brush your teeth fill your coffee and that's what he has been about in all of his films it seemed like Kinetic um, editing, lots of visuals, yes. Time. Baby Driver, yep. especially Scott Pilgrim versus the world, yep. world, like World's End, Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead. And what I noticed right away about Last Night in Soho is how he got pretty disciplined about that shit right now. Yep. Now he is expressing the vibe and feel of the 60s. Mm-hmm. And he's definitely dipping his wing a little bit in the giallo vibe as far as the lighting and the aesthetic. Dipping, okay. Absolutely. Swimming, but yeah. <laughs> and uh, he and his co-writer, I'm sorry. I'm yeah, I had her name too. She also wrote Megan. Oh, did she? I didn't know that. Yeah. All right. Screenplay by Edgar Wright and Christy Wilson Cairns is what it says here. I feel like the two of them... We're in love with London of the 60s. Yep. Which and is... connected passionately to the vibe of London in the 60s. Yeah. And if I knew anything about that corner of the world, London in the 60s, and if I had that shared cultural connection to it, I think that my connection to the movie would be deeper. Yep. I was super excited going into it because it's like Edgar Wright doing a horror movie. It's a different genre for him. Yeah. And uh, it's supposedly a stylistic departure. I will say that I think this is my least favorite Edgar Wright movie. Yep. But my least favorite Edgar Wright movie is still, still a really very, fucking good movie. Yeah, you can tell um, from the uh, even the opening sequence that, that you're in the hands of a, a film auteur yeah. who understands film language. Uh, you know, once again, we talked about you know film composition. You know the way things are put in certain sets and the you know the use of music and the use of of lighting. It's it's definitely if you were in love with the music, the fashion, the style, the vibe yeah. of the '60s. Yeah. This movie is probably going to be on your Desert Island picks, right? Yeah, like, yeah. if it is for you. But for me, it didn't feel nostalgic. It kind of felt new. <laughs> like, it kind of felt like I was exploring this kind of different uh, world aesthetic. Yeah. We all see it through the, the, the eyes of our, our lead character who's going to London to... Thomas and Mackenzie's Thomas the actor's name. Uh, Eloise. Yeah, and she's going to be this fashion, you know, go to fashion school, and she is very rooted in that same vibe. She wants to go to the Soho area in London and just be of that vibe. And uh, we notice right away when we meet her that there's something off about her. Yep. She sees her dead mom's reflection in the mirror sometimes when she looks in the mirror. Yeah. And she sort of talks to her. And we don't know how seriously or, quote, real we're supposed to take this. But because I knew I was watching a horror movie, I mean, I'm definitely going to plant a flag in the ground. Like, this must mean something. She's talking to her mommy. Yeah. Um, And when she moves to this way-too-good-to-be-true apartment, living with this, quote-unquote, sweet old lady, uh, she starts having these visions of Anya Taylor-Joy from the 60s. We're living at what first looks this amazing, glamorous, beautiful, high fashion life. Yeah. And with each vision and each visit, it gets worse and worse. Yep. And worse. Yep. And worse. And all of that works, and I'm I'm with the movie. I am with the movie. But again, I, I don't know. Sorry, it's a newish movie, so I hate if I'm spoiling this for you. If we were really not expected to think 
that the woman she was living with, Miss Collins, yes, was going to be attached to these flashbacks, then we just haven't watched a movie before. Yeah. It's another one of those things. That's the big reveal? That's the big reveal of the movie? No. Yeah, it's very predictable. I knew she was being poisoned when she was being poisoned. And I don't think the movie wanted us to know that. So I think I kind of have to take points away from that. Yep. But I honestly feel like most of the rest of my problems are just with it. This is not the vibe that I completely understand and can appreciate. I'm basically seeing a lot of this stuff for the first time, mm-hmm. and I can appreciate it as that, but I don't get that it's a reference to something or, or, or you know, whatever the equivalent, of, like the Warhol 60s of the Americas, with like, he was the 60s in the Americas. Yeah, yeah. Soho was the 60s in, in London, in, in, yeah. in England, in, for the English community, mm-hmm. and I don't fully know what that means. But I believe that Edgar Wright and his people did. <laughs> well, uh, you're right about actually like the other uh, co- uh, co-writer's name. Um, I have it as uh, Christy Wilson Cairns. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, I love the fact that when the end credits do show up, it's got those shots of the quiet streets of Soho uh, and how it still, you know, looks somewhat the same today. I mean, some things might have changed a little bit, but I, the overall theme that because it's heavy on nostalgia. Um, but it's almost an anti-nostalgia movie because th- it's the whole idea of that not everyone remembers the past as a good thing. It's, you know, it, 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 you know the, the swinging 60s caused a lot of problems for a lot of people. You know, the sex is never really free. Yeah. Forget, you know, the sort of STIs or whatever. But, you know, that, that whole lifestyle that, you know, catered to men, if you will. Yeah, had Thomas and Mackenzie's character's yeah. uh, sort of dreamlike nostalgia for yeah. something that she never experienced yeah. goes past naive and yeah. into ignorant, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. and I think that's what really kind of brews contempt in the old lady. Doesn't, plus yeah. she doesn't want her secrets spilled, yeah. right? <laughs> um, yeah. Matt Smith, Doctor Who to a lot of people, <laughs> yeah. it shows up in this movie yeah. and. He seems at first like he's going to be this knight in shining armor who's going to like make this this woman's career take it to the next level and and yeah. sort of complete her. Yeah. And he does quote unquote finish her by turning her into a serial killer through years of sexual abuse, yep. pimping her out and treating her as property. Yeah. And it's amazing. He's famous for his uh, montages and his hyper editing. Right. One of the few places when that happens is when we get that reveal, and it's like a montage of dudes getting stabbed in the face. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like, oh, oh man, they've been holding back on the violence until whoa, yeah, no, now we're doing <laughs> now, it. Yeah, now yes, no, she didn't go a little bit over that edge. She yep. she fucking went crazy. Yeah, she's got some wires crossed. Yep, yep. Um, I also think you know what the stronger ending would have been, of course. What's that? Thomason under the floorboards with the rest of the bodies. Yeah. Credits. Yeah. I don't think she... I think her ignorance was enough to kind of earn that death. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but I guess they weren't going to go there. I, like, I didn't write the screenplay. Um, and again, if it's a reference to another movie or if it's a reference to specific people, 
yeah. out of history, that went right over my head. And yeah. I, I will confess, there may be shit that I completely missed in okay. this movie. Um, no, but I, I still have such respect for Edgar Wright. And this is not a thumbs down review. Yeah, no, uh, it's it's well made <laughs> enough that yeah. it's a positive thing. Um, I do have a question. The Terrence Stamp, we never get the, like, do we have get he his name? He doesn't have a name. He's, he's just a silver-haired silver gen- gentleman. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that he knew actually about, uh, not Vespa, that's the drink she drinks. Um, she knew that she Sandy. was a, a, I think he knew that she used to be a prostitute. And I think he suspected that she was killing all, all these men. Like, because he does have that line, you should go and ask Miss Collins what really happened to Sandy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it just sort of gave the impression that, you know, he'd known for a long time and is one of the reasons why there's been so many, you know, male ghosts. And the second they showed up, I was like, okay, let's put two and two together because Terrence Stamp, it was too obvious for him to be the killer. No. And that's what they wanted us to believe because then, they wanted us yeah. to believe it. I didn't believe it. And then the question is, why is Diana Rigg here? Mm-hmm. Now for, you know, to the She young, could have been the sweet old lady, yeah. but... But to the young people, no one knows, you know, you know how. I wouldn't say. Well, I mean, she was very popular at one point, but most most people over forty know who Diana Rigg is. Right? Why is she in this movie? And then it kind of went, oh yeah. And then it did not surprise at the least that Sandy, you know, breaks. Yeah. Um, and again, that's where I take the points away because I I did see through the subterfuge. And, yeah. Um, I I prefer I prefer to be tricked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here's something else that. It, about the script, and I clocked it a little bit, and I hated the fact that you know, I, either I clocked it. Uh, the boyfriend, uh, Michael Aho, is the actor's name. He plays John. Yeah. The scene where they he makes out with her at uh, at her place, and Miss Rig or Miss Collins comes up and interrupts them. Just as that was going on, and I hated the, the fact. I don't like. I said I thought this. I thought. Because he's black, he's never coming back. It would just be like, gone, gone. But for the story element, of course, he's going to be the sympathetic boyfriend. Right. And he's going to come back. But in real life, I just didn't see that happening at all. I don't know why I thought she was it. going to be ditched by the black dude. I thought it was strange for him to come back. Just because of how odd she was acting. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it just, and I hate I thought the, you were saying, because the black guy is just going to ditch a pretty No, way. no, 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 no. I wasn't going to imply that. I was that. just worried. It was coming off. Re- <laughs> no, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like, she was acting Other strange. reviews of the movie I clocked it as well. Right. I just kind of went, I just didn't buy the fact that he was coming back. Right. But he's, but for the story's sake, he has we to be the Yeah, yeah. In a way, he kind of saves it, the day by knocking just, on the it, door. It just made, this, not this. It, it it's kind of like what Eddie Murphy talked about in Delirious about Poltergeist, you know, you know, you know, if it was a black film, it's just up and I don't know, get out, yeah, yeah. get out. I don't know, I don't uh, know. I didn't. I think we thought. needed it was a, it was plot armor for that relationship because he needed to knock on the door. Yeah, when no, he did. it's there for story elements, and I get why. Yeah. If nobody knocks on the door, then she can't overpower her landlord and get the ambulance and have her life saved. Blah, 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 yeah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was probably more for the service of the plot than credible character choices. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but I didn't particularly clock it that way. But um, It was just, I, I, I don't know why I did, and I felt bad for even thinking that. But I don't want to underwrite the stylistic, stylistic flourishes, too, because yeah. where we don't get the hyperkinetic editing as much... We do get these amazing scenes where Matt Smith is dancing with Mackenzie Phillips. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's dancing 
with uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, and it's not a computer trick. It's all done in camera, all in one shot. Some of the transitions are amazing. The mirror work? Yeah. Because we start where she's seeing her mom in the mirror, and then it turns we're seeing Anya Taylor-Joy in the mirror. Yeah. And again, I do think we're supposed to be focusing our crazy eyes on Mackenzie, right? Yeah. She's the crazy one, not the old lady. Yeah. We have an old lady in the story. The bulk of this is backwards. is back set. She's going to have a card to play. Yeah. I'm kind of embarrassed that they thought they were going to fool us with that. Yeah. But, again, for the style and for the basic beats of the story, I mean, I still enjoyed watching it. Yeah. It was, you know, I still confidently put my money down for an Edgar Wright picture. Yeah. Um, this one just didn't seem as accessible to me uh, as as a lot of his other ones. Some of his movies, like, if you're not a zombie freak, I guess I understand you're not loving Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Right? Uh, if you didn't grow up with video game culture around you, maybe Scott Pilgrim in the world doesn't really work for yeah. you. But some of them just, I feel like, are almost critical. <laughs> it's also, like I said, a giant love letter to those British ghost movies that were so popular. The BBC was also really good for making these. There's a series called A Christmas Ghost Story mm-hmm. that went on for years. The BBC would make them, and they're like, they're one-hour ghost stories. Yeah. And it, and this felt very much in that sort of same vein as well with Last Night in Soho. Yeah. Um, and so I like, you know, I, I I like that sort of vibe that he was going for, um, and it does visually feel very different from a lot of his you know that, that sort of kinetic, actiony, quick cut movies that he's known for. And a little bit more personal, and he got to make it in his hometown, about yeah. his hometown. And like, I do, yeah, I do love the end credits with all those you know shots of the empty streets. Yeah. It's such a good idea. Like, and this is another one of these movies that you get to make. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is going to be a tough sell unless you're Edgar Wright. Yeah, right. It's so, very niche. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I stand by where I started. It's a safe bet as a horror movie, and anything with Edgar Wright's name on it, I will still confidently put my money down. Yep. So that was six horror films from directors we're fans of. <laughs> horror director selections. Yep. Um, and again, there was a pretty obvious bottom, I think, but uh, we had a lot of positive things for the most part to say. So I feel like we're in similar places, but uh, uh, it's always interesting. What was your least favorite of these six pictures and why? Well, a shock to no one in all of our, you know what, Five listeners? <laughs> Come on, there's more. I have five. dozens of subscribers. Hey, you know what? Be proud. Be proud. I love my listeners. I am not making fun of anybody but this, myself. This right is now. me, like, ah, ah, <laughs> <to the laughs> listeners. Yeah, all right, sorry. Number six. 
I have my soul to take by Wes Craven. What? I know. I know. Right? And Barry storms out of the room. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just... It's meh. M-E-H-meh. M-E-H-meh. Uh, number five, it brings me no joy. And it's like one of those... It's almost there. It's just starting to tickle just a little bit. You know, starting to feel nice. I know I'm doing, I'm doing that weird thing with my finger. <laughs> that, you know, radio, not television. But I have The Lair by right. Neil Marshall. It's almost there. Number four, um, I had it higher um, than expected, and I just love the fact that it's really just a bunch of conversations in this really dark, frustrating seduction of really three scenes. It is almost like three acts a little bit, you know, with the interlude with the dream, and that's Neil Levitt's House of Darkness at number four. Number three, um, I have, uh, despite its, you know, micro-budget, um, look about it. The way better than expected absentia by your your boyfriend, Mr. Flanagan. Your boyfriend. <laughs> I just I just want to snuggle. You know, you, you know how I'm seeing it jealously, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. Your new boyfriend. new boyfriend. Okay, fine. Number two, I have last night in Soho from those Brits. I tell you that that cheeky Brit. Um, if a, if the if the if the mystery wasn't super predictable, it could have been higher. But it is, you know, the last night and so number two. And not number one, that giant love letter to the eighties horror mixed in with a little bit of little bit of nineties a little bit. I have malignant by Malignant taking the top James Wan was <laughs> never really in doubt. Come on. I, I had a suspicion that you would put malignant I love in malignant. the top spot. Right. Unfortunately, we're not going six for six, oh, but we're quite sh- we're quite close, and uh, our differences aren't, I think, something that we're going to be upset about. Sure. Uh, in sixth place is my soul to take. Okay. Um, I think I can say nice thing about some of the acting, but the script, the story, yeah, the execution, yep. and the experience of watching it, yeah. No, pretty much nothing worked other than a couple of decent actors. And I say, like, they what saved face. What is Frank face. Gillo doing in this movie? Yeah, well, what's anybody doing? This? They're, they're getting paid to act, so they're winning. But, but uh, again, did I have to think that hard to find something good to say about a Wes Craven film that comes this late in his career? Yeah. It stings. But it had to be at the bottom, and I think we both knew it. The Lair, we're still in agreement, is in fifth place. It's a totally adequate monster movie. I expect more than adequate from this director. Neil Marshall I made see. one of the best monster movies ever made. Maybe two of them, some would argue. Got like, high expectations, I understand for Neil. Uh, so maybe I'm grading him on a, a higher scale, and maybe that's not fair, but it is how I feel. This movie should have been better. You're not wrong. You're it's not, not wrong. bad, but it should have been better. You're not wrong. So there. Okay, so we're still in agreement here with Neil LeBute's very play-feeling horror film, The House of Darkness. Um, I think that of all of these movies, I think this might, even more than Last Night in Solo, be the most polarizing, sure. as far as the people who will really like it yeah. and really hate it. I'm closer to the really like it angle, but I can watch a film that feels like a play, yep. which this is. Yep. And the weird thing about it is that it's not based on a play. If it was based on a play, it would have an excuse to crawl like quite like it does, but... Yep. It holds your attention, and that is the essential ingredient. So, 
Some people will say controversially, all the way in third place is where I put Last Night in Soho. Uh, you didn't, okay. Part of it is like, I hold, again, holding him up to a higher bar, but uh, just on the basics, what was he dealing with? At this point in his career, he could make any movie he wanted, mm -hmm. basically with any cast he wanted, mm -hmm. to a degree with almost any budget that he wanted. Mm hmm my second place film, Absentia, mm -hmm. was made for $70,000. Yep. And it wall-to-wall -wall works. Is it as beautiful and kinetic and amazingly executed technically? Of course not. <laughs> of course not. On that level, it's kind of unfair that the two movies are on the same list. But I think Absentia, beginning to end, works more completely for me then Last Night in Soho. I was ahead of Last Night in Soho. I was not ahead of Absentia. And I do Absentia like the could distract yeah. me with style. Or, yeah. Sorry, Soho could distract me with style. Yeah. Absentia was very much in this little gray box of yeah. independent cinema. Yeah. And I think it did well. I wrestled with these two. Like Absentia and Last Night in Soho are vying for number two. But... Yeah. I don't know, because of my fanboying for Flanagan, I guess, I'm just going to stand by it. Yep. Absentia is a really impressive... I think, I, I think 70, you're going with your heart and not your head, but okay. Well, speaking of going with my, my heart and not my head, I'm going to back your play yeah. on Malignant. Yeah. And there are people who think both of us are out of our fucking mind right they're now. they're just wrong. <laughs> they're just wrong. <laughs> they just didn't grow up on the same insane diet of yeah. cult horror that you and I did. Yeah. Um, in a weird way, even though he's this is a movie that did so so off of the back of his two big blockbusters. I think it's, it was a bomb actually financially. As far as I'm concerned, this is a return to form. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. Uh, the dark horse has taken the top of this this bonkers out of its mind. I know horror thriller yeah. is number one with a bullet. Yep. Thank you for existing, Malignant. Yep, the I world appreciate is, the you. world is better a better place with you in it. Yep, no, I get it. I love this movie, so good, and I just and they play they play it just enough to be annoying, like not too annoying, but that Safari Riot. Where is my mind? Like it, that's such a '90s thing to do. It's strange. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, it somehow works in that sort of giggly... It's not quite the Monty Python joke, <laughs> but whatever. No, a Malignant is awesome, and I, I'm sort of... I fear we may never get another true sort of original James Wan horror film, because it just didn't... Well, his second Aquaman movie just took a huge shit, so maybe he'll come crawling back to genre. Yeah, it made enough money, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, but... I was, haven't seen it. I shouldn't talk shit about a movie I haven't seen, Whatever, 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 whatever. <laughs> Thank you for being here, Mr. Hey, Beckman. man, you know I came willingly. I had to, like, put up a whole, you know, wall in front of me. Well, I hope the listeners were enjoying the dulcet tones of your voice because they're going to hear it again in uh, the next episode of Rankin Review. You threaten them. <laughs> where we talk about some horror sequels. Yep. Yep. Thanks, buddy. Be good. And there it was, a, uh, a really interesting bunch of movies there. 
Uh, I feel like putting in this little caveat. It's not that I re regret my choice of Malignant as number one, but I, I don't think we represented how polarizing that movie is. There are the people who really dig what's going on and how ridiculous and how it kind of lied to everybody in its marketing. And there are people who, you know, just thought it was ridiculous and felt cheated. And that is a valid perspective to take. I happen to think it's amazing, <laughs> but uh, I like I like people taking creative risks like that. Anyway, I shouldn't have to justify it. Watch it. Let me know what you think of it, and, and uh, tell me. Uh, write me at rankandreview at gmail.com. Are Lee and I crazy for that selection? Um, check out the website, rankandreview.ca. There's lots of episodes in the back catalog to check out. Please tell a friend about the show. Please support uh, their podcasts close to us, the uh, Terror Table, the Shelf Shedding Movie Show, and the Lifetime of Hallmark. This is the voice of your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons. Thank you so much for being here. And in two weeks, you'll be hearing from the Beckman again as we discuss horror sequels and finally round out the discussion on the Nouveau Halloween Trilogy. I hope you're there for it. 